1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. This is what the Word of God has to say. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which, is, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, for, so for, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So I want to ask you a very simple question that seems like it would have a very simple answer, and that is, what is true? Or maybe better ask, what is truth? Can you define what is truth? Now, in some ways, it's a very simple question. And it seems like it would have a rather simple answer. In fact, it seems like the, the, the answer would be obvious. But, but today, the response to this has become a bit complicated. A phrase that has been embedded into our culture. No doubt you have heard it in different forms and in different ways. It was popularized by the larger-than-life personality of Oprah, 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 Oprah Winfrey. God bless me, I can't, just couldn't get the name out. Maybe because I'm so upset by what she said. But so, so one of the things that she popularized was this idea of your truth. Have you heard that? So, so, the, so the admonition or the encouragement is you need to live your truth. You need to speak your truth. Um, I've even heard it now with, with some, some of the uh, later iterations of it. You need to dress your truth. I'm not even real sure what that means, but... But this idea of your truth and my truth. Now, on the surface, to be totally honest, when, when that idea was floated, it, it has sort of a sense about it of weighty wisdom, right? So you need to live your truth. You need to speak your truth. And there seems to be something in there that we all would go, yeah, yeah, that sounds, sounds good. It sounds wise. It sounds deep. It sounds insightful. But, but frankly, friends, when you, when you begin to press what in the world that means, it falls apart pretty quickly. When truth is defined by the individual, it does not have to conform to objective truth or to what really is true. 
It can be, in fact, it can be in opposition uh, to objective truth because personal truths are defined by the person. So my truth can be different than your truth and both of our truths can be different than what is actually true. So come back to the question, what is true and what is truth? Is your truth, is my truth, truth at all? Now, friends, the answer to that is no. Truth is not something that can be invented or fashioned to suit. Truth is the accurate testimony of what is, and it is not negotiable. I often use the the illustration when trying to teach this. I said, you know, you can say to me, Pastor, I believe that if I punch one of the cinder block walls in the hallway back here, that that wall is soft and inviting and it will not hurt. That can be your truth. And that's fine for you to believe it until you actually punch that wall. And then you're going to discover the truth. That that cinder block wall is going to hurt and it's going to break your hand if you hit it hard enough. Knowing the truth may be upsetting when it contradicts what you want to be true or have previously held to be true. However, truth sets you free and ultimately gives life. Now, friends, faith in Jesus requires that you come to believe that the Bible is true and its testimony to the righteousness and the glory of God are true. And that's where we begin. You know, we love to quote Romans when we say, confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. That's saying that you believe the testimony of Scripture under Jesus is indeed true. We're not saying that you believe it's your truth or my truth. No, we're saying that we believe it to be the truth. In our passage this morning, Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy at this point is a young man pastoring a church. And he's, of course, most of the, the letter to, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are instructions to Timothy of how he should pastor and how he should approach the, the work that he's been called to. And, and I think, and, and of course, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are included in our scriptures by the, by the sovereignty of God, not just as an instruction to those who have roles of leadership in the church, but but certainly we are all to, to hear from these the, the truths behind them and to understand not only is this true for 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 Timothy as a pastor, but true for all of us. We need to understand what is true and build our life and our ministry upon that. Paul is pointing Timothy to the power and the authority of his ministry, and that is going to be not his personality, not his ability, but his sound doctrine, his good doctrine, his true doctrine. And he points Timothy to build his work and his ministry on what is true. Friends, I believe the Bible is true. I believe that the Bible is the testimony to the truth of God and unto salvation. Now, just as a, if, you're, if you're studying this passage, I would point you to, to the very middle of it. And um, I would make the case that um, in, um, in verse 10 is sort of the, the hinge by which what goes before and what goes after rest on. It's sort of the the foundation of what Paul is saying. In verse 10, Paul says, for to this end we toil and strive. So in other words, this is why we work. This is what we are giving our life to. He says, this is what we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 
He, he says, that's what we believe. That's what we put our hope on and, and built our lives on and placed our eternity on. Therefore, everything flows from that, from that, that hope. So our, our reliance on the Word, our teaching of the Word, our, our, our patience to the Word, our tenacity to teach the faithfulness of the Word, all of that rests on the fact that we have placed our hope, we have fixed our hope on the living God. The weight of this is tremendous on its own, but when you consider the task of pointing others to the truth, the weight of this uh, and the consequence of this grows even more. Friends, I believe as a church, we must continually point others to what is true. That is our mission to declare what is true, to point to what is true, and to draw and encourage others to understand what is true. And to be effective to this, I think Paul teaches us several things in this passage, but I want to point out three things that I think that are required for us to be effective in pointing others to this truth and to fix their hope also on the living God. Number one, we must find our life in the truth. We'll talk about how this is not something we do sort of as a as an extra to our life, but this is where we find life in and build our life upon that we find our life from truth. And, and, and in relation to that, secondly, we actively reject all that is false. So we reject all lies. If we are to be people of the truth, we cannot incorporate lies into our life. And then lastly, that we be purposely disciplined. In other words, we recognize that there are some things that we need to do, there's some things that we don't need to do, but our purpose is that we might be, might we be devoted to and, and, and good stewards of the truth. And so we purposely discipline our life for the glory of God and for his truth. But let's begin with this idea of life from truth. And I would simply draw your attention back to verse 1. Where Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. In other words, this is what you ought to do as a pastor, Timothy. Being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. A couple of things here about life in the truth. I think what one, of the, one of the sort of foundational dynamics here is that we must be continually in the word. So the first word of instruction that Paul gives is on how to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And it's, it, it is, is to be fed or nourished, is what the New American Standard translates this as, or as the ESV says, trained, trained by the Word of God. Now this is, this is not a, a once and done activity, but something that is continually part of your life. Oh, friends, listen to me carefully on this. If you're to be a faithful believer of Jesus... And if you are to be a good steward of the Word of God, your relationship to God's Word has to be more than an, an addition to your schedule. It has to be something as continual in your life as eating uh, your meals. You don't approach your breakfast, supper, and lunch as an option, do you? You approach them as a continual part of your life because you are nourished on the food that you eat. And likewise, if you're to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you must be nourished or trained in the Word of God. Nourishment is not accomplished by a singular event. It is accomplished by consistently eating well. Likewise, training is, for any skill is not accomplished by a crash course or one-time experience, but rather consistent effort. You think about eating uh, you know, just, just the thought of one meal does not make you healthy or unhealthy. 
So I don't know if this is even possible, but imagine with me that somehow you, you met with all the expert dietitians of the world and they were able to create for you and, and they got together with all the great chefs of the world and they were together able to create for you the most delicious, amazing meal ever created and it was the most healthy, perfectly balanced, nutritious meal that could have ever been created for you and they provide it for you, you eat it, you enjoy it and you feel great afterwards. Have you become healthy? No, you've had one good meal. The way health comes is following that good meal by another good meal. And following that meal by another good meal. Health doesn't come through eating one good uh, meal. It comes from consistently eating a good meal. Paul instructs Timothy, Timothy to be in the word because he knows that it is an easy temptation to grow lax in this area. In verse 14, Paul instructs Timothy to give attention to the public reading of Scripture, draw the whole congregation into this idea of being in the Word continually. In verse 15, Paul again encourages Timothy to be immersed or absorbed in the Word. That's actually translating an idiom that simply means literally to be inside of or in. The New American Standard translates that as, uh, uh, as absorbed or immersed. Friends, a lot of us today are not continually in the Word. Our, our Bible study is hit and miss, and mostly miss. Our church attendance is not consistent or faithful. And for many, the Sunday morning sermon is the only time in the week that we give attention to the Word of God. Now hear me carefully. I don't want to berate you on this. But if this hour is the only hour in your week that you're giving attention to the Word of God, by definition, you are malnourished in God's Word. I hope that when you hear me preach, you hear a faithful Word of God delivered to you from this pulpit. But this is not enough. Sunday afternoon lunch, is, I hope, is a great meal for you, but that's not enough to sustain you all week. And here's a promise. If you'll be faithful to continually be in the Word, you will perceive my preaching on Sunday morning to be better. It actually won't change any. It'll be just regular old me preaching. But because you've been in the Word, God will use that to bless what you hear now. It is not healthy for anyone and deadly for those who serve the Lord uh, in church leadership to only have a casual, a casual um, uh, relationship to the Word of God. Foundational to everything else is being in the Word continually. So we are to be continually in the Word, and Paul says that we are to be trained by the Word. Paul is specific. Be nourished on the words of faith and sound doctrine. What gives life to followers of Jesus is the true word of faith and sound doctrine. You know, back in the old days, not too long ago, but a previous generation, and, and when we would have uh, denominational meetings, associational meetings, um, uh, national conventions, we would generally have a, a doctrinal sermon. Now, we still do, but we don't call it that anymore. In fact, churches used to have doctrinal sermons, but we don't call it that anymore because if you, if you hear me announce this Sunday that next Sunday I'm going to preach a doctrinal sermon on the, 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 the Trinity or the doctrinal sermon on the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, your eyes roll back in the back of your head and you think, that's got to be boring and I'll find somewhere else to be. But, you know, the reality of training is we are tr the, the context of training is not always the exciting part. 
The context of training is oftentimes difficult, but we train for the outcome, not for the experience in the, in the moment. There is a recognition of transformation here. When you have been transformed by the Lord, you are given a heart of righteousness that desires righteousness. Friends, the only way to walk in righteousness before the Lord is to know and be trained up in his word, to know what his word teaches, know what his word commands, know what his word uh, instructs. What should flow from every heart that is declared Jesus as Lord is a desire to be nourished and trained in the word of God. You will fill your life with something. Let me rephrase that. You are filling your life with something. Only those who continually find nourishment from the word can be effective servants of God. Are you filling your life with the word of God? Oh, friends, listen to me. The great plague of our lifetime is not COVID-19. The plague of our lifetime is the abundance of entertainment. I, I remember as a kid, the first cable box we had had 12 buttons on the top. And half of those stations quit broadcasting at 12 o'clock at night. And we thought that was amazing to have 12 stations. Because we went from bunny years, they only had three, and two of those we couldn't get clearly. And now we go home. You'll go home this afternoon, and you may have multiple streaming services available to you that have content not only currently being made, but content from as far back as you can imagine. We are overwhelmed by entertainment. We have in our pockets computers that that deliver us high-definition games. And if you want to, you can be entertained 24-7 or as long as you can keep your eyeballs open. And the reality of it is we are filling our lives up with things that have absolutely no eternal value. They don't even really have momentary value. We're filling our lives up with those things, and therefore we don't have time for better things. We say we don't have time for sound doctrine, but we got time to watch TV and play on our phones. The point I'm making is you will fill your life with something. Make sure it's something that has something of value. And Paul is saying to Timothy, train up, be nourished, fill your life up with something of value. Train sound doctrine and God's word. Be continually in the Word, be trained by the Word, be sustained by the Word. As I've already said, good health does not come from one healthy action but a health, but, or one healthy meal. Good health comes from consistently eating well and consistently exercising well. I'm often asked, what, should, what, what, what could you do? Sometimes people will say, Pastor, what can I do to draw closer to the Lord? And my answer oftentimes surprises people because it's so simple and lack of impressiveness. And I say growing closer to God doesn't come from any one single event. It won't come from going to a great revival service or hearing a great preacher preach or, 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 or one particular Bible study or one particular prayer time or even a very meaningful worship service. Glow, growing closer to God comes from being consistently sustained by the Word of God. In other words, if you want to grow closer to God, start coming to church more faithfully. You want to grow closer to God, start going to Sunday school regularly. 
You want to grow closer to God? Start reading your Bible daily. You want to grow closer to God? Start being in prayer consistently and daily. Now, what will happen is you'll start those things and you'll say, nothing's changing in my life. But I guarantee as you continually stay in the Word, give attention to God's Word, God will begin to use that in your life and you will find yourself sustained by the Word of God as it becomes more consistent in all parts of your life as you're giving attention to it. Like being sustained by daily bread, we must be sustained by the Word of God. You cannot be an effective servant without the Word of God. And in order to be an effective servant of God, you must be sustained by the Word of God. Now, there's the positive. Here's the negative. Reject all lies. Look at verse 7. So the positive, he says, be, being trained or nourished in the words of faith and of sound doctrine that you have followed. Verse 7 have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness for a while. Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Just two things here about rejecting all lies. First, reject what confuses and distorts the truth. King James Version translates verse 7 as, but refuse profane and old wives' tales. ESV and New American Standard renders it have nothing to do with worldly fables. The, the literal translation of the word that's refuse or reject is to not pay attention to, to refuse to pay attention to, to avoid, to pay no attention to. I would use the word to reject. Every day we're making constant decisions about what we receive and what we don't receive. You ever hear something and you're like, that's the ridiculous thing, most ridiculous thing I've ever heard? When you hear something like that, you are rejecting it. You're saying that, that is not true. Friends, God is true and his word is true. And therefore the truth is that salvation is found only in him. Therefore anything that adds to or takes away from this truth must be rejected. Anything that's not faith, a faithful testimony to the truth must be rejected. Anytime something other than the truth of God is practiced, it distracts and it distorts the true witness. To reject something is to be actively on guard against it, recognizing the threat and intentionally protecting what is one of the things that we need to be constantly aware of is the, the threat to faithful teaching. Now, you would think it's, it's hard to recognize the threat in the context of a regular Sunday morning. Are you, are you afraid that I'm going to preach false doctrine to you this morning? I hope not. I hope I've garnered some trust from you that I'm going to be faithful to preach. But friends, I'm going to tell you something. The testimony of the church is that many denominations and many churches that started faithful have drifted into theological liberalism and been lost to paganism. How did that happen? Well, it didn't happen overnight, but little by little as usually the leaders um, refused to be faithful to preach and to teach, then, the, then those in the pew began to follow, and then one day you turn around and the, the church or the whole denomination is lost to to, to wickedness and unfaithfulness. 
How do we guard against that? Well, we guard against that by being in the Word of God, and not only just being in the Word of God, but actively rejecting what confuses and distorts the truth. God's Word is not confusing. God's Word does not distort how we are to be saved. It's very clear. In fact, the gospel is so clear that a child can understand the way unto salvation. We don't have to complicate that. We don't have to make that difficult to understand. But we do need to be actively on guard, recognizing threats to true teaching, intentionally protecting what is true, and having no part of anything that confuses what is true, obscures what is true, distracts from what is true, or contradicts what is true. I want to just give you a freedom here on this. If you believe God is God, then one of the things that you can rest in So if God is the one who spoke all things into existence, declared light to be light and darkness to be darkness, spoke the world into existence and fashioned you and I out of the dust and breathed life into us, friends, it's not a hard thing for me to believe at all that God himself was able to not only have his word written but also protected throughout the generations. How do I know this word is true? It's not because scholars have told me so. It's because I believe the God who authored it has also kept it. Rest in the authority and sovereignty of God. There will be some today that will tell you, well, we need to reject some of this because, well, Paul was writing in a cultural context and and so we can reject anything he talked about on gender because they didn't understand gender in the first century like we understand it today. Reject that as a lie. Others will say, well, there's portions of this that that really have nothing to do with us morally because Old Testament, we can really ignore the Old Testament because it's a a context and generation that no longer applies to us. Reject that as a lie. Do you believe God is sovereign? Do you believe that he holds your life into his hands? Can he not also not preserve his word? And I believe he can and he has. Oh, there's always myths and wives' tales and those things that contradict the truth. Reject them as what they are. They are lies. In fact, I would connect to that. Reject anything that denies the lordship of Jesus. False teaching is never, ever benign. It is never, ever benign. One of the things that that, uh, I have noticed that's sort of a popular cultural um, phraseology these days is to give thanks and admonition or admiration to the universe. Have you heard that? So um, the universe declared, the universe is telling me, you'll hear this in popular culture where people will acknowledge that there's the universe is somehow controlling their lives. It breaks my heart whenever I hear it because it's, a, it's, an, an, it's an attempt to reference a entity or a, a power that's beyond them at the same time, at the same time denying the lordship of Jesus. Friends, the universe does not control our lives. Jesus controls our lives. Faith and sound doctrine recognize that Jesus, it recognized Jesus as Lord and the light of truth. The word of God points to Jesus alone as the way, to the, the truth, and the life. And anything other than the truth, uh, this truth has at its heart the rejection of the lordship of Jesus. No one can minister in the name of Jesus unless they acknowledge the name of Jesus as Lord. And at the heart of all false teaching is a denial of the lordship of Jesus. We stand under the lordship of Jesus alone as the church, as saints of the church, even leaders in the church. 
Salvation begins with confessing Jesus as Lord. So let nothing discredit or deny this truth and reject anything that rejects the Lordship of Jesus. One last thing. And that is be purposely disciplined. So Paul gives these instructions. And then as I said, the the linchpin of the whole passage comes in in verse uh, uh, 10 where he says, For this end we toil and strive because we have our our hope set on uh, the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who who believe. And then he he goes on to talk about command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But but notice what he says in verse verse 8. Or or the second part of verse 7 and into verse 8. He says, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I think what Paul is doing here is contrasting the foolishness of false teaching with being disciplined for the purpose of godliness. Just three things here about being disciplined with purpose. Number one, we are disciplined uh, with purpose for the salvation of the lost. So look with me in verse 8 where he says, uh, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then in verse 10, uh, he talks about that, that for, uh, who is the sa- salvation of all people, especially of those who believe. Friends, you and I must strive for godliness not only for our own blessing, but also for the, to the testimony of the lost around us. You know, all, I think a lot of times we, we see our personal walk with the Lord when it develops and grows as only in the context of a personal blessing. Now listen to me carefully. I want all of you as individuals to grow deeper in the Word of God. That'll bless you, and and, and you'll receive that as a blessing personally. But listen to me carefully. Your more faithfulness to walk with Jesus is not only a blessing to you, it'll be a blessing to me, and it'll be a blessing as a testimony to all those that you interact with. Godly discipline is certainly a blessing for this life, but godly discipline is also a blessing for, uh, for well beyond this world. It's a testimony to your lost spouse. It's a testimony of salvation to your children. It's a testimony of salvation to your coworkers. It is a testimony to salvation of your, to your community. Being disciplined in godliness draws you closer to the Lord and causes you to spend more time in the Word. It it, it makes you aware. It makes you a more active witness. It makes you a more effective witness. And we must be disciplining ourselves for the glory of God that we might be a more effective witness for the salvation of the lost. Let me tell you something. There are some people looking at you today. They know you're in church this morning, and they can't figure out what is different from you and them. Because for some of you, you talk the same way that they talk at work. You complain about the same things they complain about. And and your schedule looks very similar to theirs, except for every now and then you're in the church house. Oh, friends, grow in godliness. Grow in devotion to the Word of God that you might be a testimony to the world. One of the blessings of our world growing more secular is that it it develops a greater contrast between those who are following Jesus and those who are not. Be purposely disciplined as a, for the salvation of the lost. Be purposely disciplined that you might have the knowledge of truth. In verse 11, Paul says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the, uh, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Being disciplined in the truth that you might know what to prescribe and that you might know what to teach. In a world filled with false teaching and myths, the church needs to know what is true. 
I, I, I don't know, maybe in previous generations it was easier for a pastor to, to, to warn against areas that were false teaching because the availability of media was so much more narrow. But friends, the reality of it is you're exposed to books and podcasts and, and media content on, on such a volume that there's no way I could address everything from this pulpit to say what is true and what is not true, what is dangerous and what is not dangerous. And friends, you need to be growing in the Word of God that you would have an understanding of the knowledge of truth. The idea here is for Paul to, to, the idea here is for Timothy to command, that is to prescribe, these are things you must do, that you ought to teach, these are how to instruct and understand the Word of God. But friends, we must not only prescribe and teach, but we must have a knowledge that we might rightly practice the true doctrines of our faith and the Word of God. We must be disciplined in the word and in godliness that we might, be, we might effectively prescribe and instruct according to the word of God. One other thing here. I think this is also, we, we need to be purposely disciplined as a testimony to the church. Not for the church, but, but uh, to the church. Timothy was a young man and tasked with pastoring a church. And there would certainly be some who might have rejected his preaching and instructing simply because he looked, they looked down on him because of his youth. I, I, um, I identify well here. Not now, but used to, I identified well. Because when I first started preaching, I, I grew the goatee originally just to make me look a little bit older. Because when I first started pastoring, I didn't look old enough to drive a car yet. And so it's hard to stand in the pulpit and declare the glory of God and the word of God with some people that think you're not old enough to tell me what to do, Right? So Paul's instruction to Timothy was this. Be nourished in the word. Reject what is false. Be disciplined in godliness. And let the fruit of your discipline be a testimony to the church. In other words, be a blessing to the church in the way you walk with the Lord and rightly handle his word. Friends, I... I want you to understand that the church is not more blessed. It's not blessed more by being filled with people who speak well or have a sort of polish about them and carry themselves well and sound smart. The church is blessed by leaders and members who faithfully hold to the word of God and live it out in their life. What can you do for Central Baptist today? One of the things that you can do that would be a tremendous blessing for us is walk faithfully with, with God. Let his word be continually in your heart and your mind. Grow in God's word. And let that be a testimony to this church in the way you live out your faith. Paul makes an aside almost as he says, you know, bodily discipline has some benefit but it won't last. Did you see what he said there? He says in verse 8, bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. A few years ago, I decided to start running. 
There were a lot of things that sort of influenced that decision, but, but one of them was that I recognized that my health was not going in the direction that I wanted to go. My energy level was declining, and my ability and, and endurance was, was not where I wanted it to be. And uh, so I wanted to, to get in better shape, and so I began to run, began to eat better, and, and made that a, um, just a part of my, my daily schedule of buffeting my body, of training my body to increase and in endurance and those sort of things. And when you go from a lifestyle of no exercise to daily exercise, it can be a pretty painful transition. But if you'll do that, then at some point you'll, you'll, um, you will, uh, you'll achieve a moment where it's no longer a- as painful or unpleasant as it started out to be, and you'll actually be, hit a, a point where you enjoy what you're doing and, and pressing and those sort of things. And I, I remember I was sharing a story a few years ago, and I, and I made the statement. I said, but, but even if you, if you achieve some great physical ability, so you're able to run marathons, or if you're a weightlifter, you're able to weight tremend- lift tremendous weight, or, or whatever it is that your goal is physically, if you're able to, to do that, and so you train your body for those things, you are always just one injury away from it all being gone. Now, I remember talking about that, thinking that's way off in the distance. And then, as many of you know, I've had some pretty unpleasant injuries of late, and it has been a struggle for a year now just to be active. And, 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 and to watch, and as a result of that, to watch some of those achievements that I had made prior to the, to the injury begin to dissipate. It is heartbreaking for me. And Paul points to that, and he goes, you know, there's some benefit. There is some benefit to physical training. You feel better. You're, you're healthier. You can do more things. But the reality of it is, whether you have an injury that steals some of it away or death comes, it has but limited um, benefit, right? At some point, no matter how hard you train or whatever you do, it'll all be lost. Now, some of you are thinking, good, I don't have to do any of that. That's not what I'm saying. But his point is in comparison to godly training, Godly training is never stolen from you. The blessings and benefit of being nourished in the Word don't dissipate. In fact, they not only bless you here, but they also bless you in eternity. Now, I want to say two things to you, church, and it's a way of just the conclusion today. Number one, many of you have backed your way into spiritual unhealth. What I mean by that is you didn't set out to be unhealthy, but you've turned around and now it's been a long time and you are not nourished on the Word of God. Now you're connected. You're here on Sunday morning and I applaud that, but it's ancillary. It's extra in your life. It's not a part of the daily living of your life. You backed into it, meaning you didn't intend to set out this way, but you just woke up today and and you're being confronted with the reality of is you're your relationship with the Lord is pretty shallow, and your understanding of the Word is very shallow, and, and you're just sort, of, just sort of been satisfied with that. That's dangerous, and I want to tell you why that's dangerous. Because as our world grows more secular, the hostility of our world will be, will be more directly focused on you, and many of you are unprepared. You are unprepared for the attacks, for the assault of the evil one as they come. You're unprepared because you don't recognize lies for what they are. You're unprepared because you don't understand that even the fiery darts of Satan, you don't recognize them as, as dangerous as they are. And, 
And I'm just here today to, to plead with you, dear friends. Like Paul was in, instructing Timothy, notice he gave no instructions about the technique of his preaching. He gave no instructions of, on, on, the, on the organization of the church. No, all of his instructions rested on, dear Timothy, as you lead these people, lead them in the word. Be grounded and nourished in the Word. Let your people be grounded and nourished in the Word. That's what gives us security in a broken world. That's what blesses us presently and in the life to come. And that's what allows you to stand when the fiery darts of Satan come. Oh, dear friends, you may have backed into unhealth. You cannot do anything about yesterday. But today you can make a decision to be nourished in my encouragement to you today is start today afresh to be founded, grounded, nourished, and trained on the Word of God. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.